Welcome to Victory Today. I am so pleased that you've joined us. We're talking right now about how to gain victory over the storms of life. And we don't deny that as believers, we're going to face storms. But there are a bunch of things that we can do to prepare us beforehand so that we respond in faith when a storm hits and we can come out the other side stronger than when we went in. And I I recognize that people are being hit with storms right now from all different angles. They're, They're facing storms in their finances, stormy relationships, health storms, emotional storms, storms at work. And as we've been learning, storms in our lives put pressure on us. They put pressure on us, friend, to cast off our faith, to to yield to fear and doubt and discouragement and to start questioning the goodness, the love of God. And actually, that one right there is a bigger one than most people realize, because often it's not until you're hit with a storm that those questions start to arise about the goodness of God and his love, his care for you. So what we're going to do is we're going to talk about that today. Because, friend, you're never going to get victory over the storms while you're doubting God's love for you. You know, the Bible says that faith works by love. Okay, so if we don't have a revelation of how much we are loved by God and that he wants us out of this storm, he, he, he wants us to get out of the whole deal that we're dealing with right now. And he wants us walking in victory more than we actually want that. If we don't get a revelation of that, we're not going to have the faith that we need to overcome the circumstance and the situation that we are facing. I'm saying, friend, that until you get settled in your heart just how much God loves you and how much he wants the best for you, you'll constantly be questioning. Fear will be allowed to control you and doubt rather than faith and peace is going to be your natural default position. Let me show you today what I'm talking about. We're talking today about getting a revelation about the love of God rather than allowing the storms to shake us in that area and cause us to question and doubt how much he actually cares. Let me show you. Mark chapter 4 and verse 35. It says, On the same day when evening had come, he said to them, Let us cross over to the other side. Now, when they'd left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was, and other little boats were also with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling, but he was in the stern, asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him and said, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? You know, I've got a friend who's able to fall asleep when he gets on an aeroplane and he flies someplace and he wakes up just as the plane touches down at his destination. Isn't that amazing? I mean, before that plane has even taxied off the runway, this guy is already fast asleep. And as the wheels touch down at his destination a few hours later, he wakes up fresh as anything. Listen, If you fly a bit, you would know that is a gift. Amen. Now, I'm better than I used to be, but I couldn't count how many long haul flights I've been on where my body clock got all messed up and I'm wide awake when I should be asleep and I'm getting more and more frustrated watching everyone around me enjoying their sleep. I mean, that's frustrating, isn't it? When you are struggling to sleep, 
and the people around you are out to it without a care in the world, that is tough, isn't it? And the longer you sit there and sleep doesn't come, typically the more frustrated you get and the less Christian you start to feel about everyone snoozing around you, right? And so I understand why it is that the disciples here in Mark chapter 4 approached Jesus in the way that they did. I mean, it was dark, it was cold, and at this point in the storm, the boat would have been riding dangerously low in the water. And as seasoned fishermen, they knew what happened to boats that got caught in storms like this. They were convinced if things didn't improve really quickly, they were all going to the bottom of the lake, right? And so they panicked. That fear of death began gripping them tight. I mean, they had already done everything that they knew to do. And instead of things getting better, it had only grown worse. The Amplified Translation gives us an insight into how bad things actually were when it says, A furious storm of wind, of hurricane proportions arose and the waves kept beating into that boat so that it was already becoming filled. You know, even today, with all the modern equipment we have, captains are still, in this day and age, reluctant to cross the Sea of Galilee if there's any hint of a storm on the horizon. And that is because the lake is down, if you've ever been there, in this huge basin It's got hills all around it. And what happens is these freak winds blast down from the mountains and onto the surface of the lake, and there's just nowhere for them to go. And so they swirl around and around like this great cauldron, and any boats that are out there caught out in that kind of weather are pretty much doomed. So so let's understand that this wasn't a swell. This wasn't a little bit of wind and a few small waves. This was like perfect storm material, okay? From a natural standpoint, these guys were finished. It was over. No one was getting out of this situation alive. They're in a little wooden boat in the dark. No life jackets, you know, no no little boat that they can get into and get away to safety. The, the, The waves are already swamping the boat. Maybe the sails had torn. We don't know, but it was desperate and pretty much no one was getting out of this situation alive. So they had done everything possible in the hours preceding this to to safety and they'd gotten nowhere. As I said, quite likely the sails, they were just made of a a hessian type material. Um, No doubt they'd been torn to shreds hours ago in this type of gale force wind, hurricane force wind, and now more water is coming over the side. And so they accept the hopelessness of their situation and they make their way down into the hold where I can imagine they would, they, they would have stood there around Jesus, probably shivering from the cold. They're soaking wet. Their hearts are beaten like crazy. And I, I could just picture it. I reckon they stood there and they argued about, should we wake him? Shouldn't we wake him? Who's going to wake him? You know, because while they are afraid for their lives... Jesus is sound asleep with his head on a pillow. I mean, it looks like while they're standing there, 
like he doesn't have a care in the world and they just cannot cope with that a moment longer. So quite likely, this is, this is you know, you won't find this in scripture or the commentators, but quite likely, I reckon Peter, who, who seems to be that kind of character, Peter would have grabbed a hold of Jesus and, and roughly shook him awake. And all at once, everybody's talking, everybody's yelling. And they say, we do know this, they say, teacher, don't you care that we're perishing? Don't you care? Now, I want you to think about that for just a moment. Teacher, don't you care? Don't you care that we're all going to drown? They're mad at this point. They are afraid. They are freaking out. But hold on a minute. These are the same guys, the same men that had seen Jesus do miracle after miracle after miracle. Hadn't these guys watched him open the eyes of the blind and drive out demons? I mean, they'd heard his teaching. They'd seen with their own eyes stuff that could only be supernatural and, you know, it could only be miraculous, the kind of things that these men had witnessed. I mean, there was no denying that there was freaky stuff going on. And yet in this moment, all of that goes out the window because as far as they are concerned, we're going to die and he doesn't even care. That's what they were thinking. And from a natural standpoint, that wasn't so unreasonable, right? I mean, their senses were telling them, and they were fishermen, very, very clearly, their senses were telling them that they were in a life or death situation. And so, if Jesus was going to continue to sleep while they're out there bailing water like crazy and rowing for their lives, that told them one thing and one thing only. Obviously... He just doesn't care, right? He doesn't care. And so their fear about the storm quickly turns to anger and they shake him awake and they angrily say, teacher, don't you care? The implication is clear. If you cared, you wouldn't have brought us out here in the first place. If you cared, you wouldn't have kept on sleeping. If you cared, you would have done something already to fix this. Notice that. I want you to see today that whenever we yield to fear, whenever we operate according to the flesh and we cast off our faith, not only do we question God's goodness, but it also causes us to become something of a control freak. Can you see that in this story? Jesus, wake up. You've got to do something. You've got to fix this. You see, friend, whenever you let go of your faith and you start yielding to fear, you also lose your peace. And, and without peace, you quickly feel more and more insecure because of what it is that you're up against, right? And, and so often, without even realizing it, you end up lashing out at those who are closest to you. I'm saying that whenever we stop being led by the Spirit and we take back the reins and we try figuring things out for ourselves, figuring out in our own strength, it's out of a desire for control. We figure, well, God isn't doing anything and so we'll have to fix this situation. That's control, right? But when you do that, 
you also lose your peace, that supernatural peace which surpasses understanding, the peace that you need when things are going crazy. You grab the steering wheel of your life, you take back control, lose your peace, and all of a sudden you feel very vulnerable, right? Totally insecure, because now it's just you against this life and death storm. And you got no idea how you're going to beat it. And so without meaning to, you lash out at those who are closest to you. You say things and do things to hurt the very people that you love. And that is what's going on here. Because even though their accusation to Jesus was, don't you care? The much bigger question I believe that sat underneath that was, don't you love us, Jesus? You see, friend, when you don't know how much the Father cares, you'll respond exactly the same way that the disciples did that night on the stormy sea. Without a revelation of his love, you'll yield to the fear. You'll cast off your faith. You'll take back control. Anytime the skies grow dark and the wind starts to blow, that is why so many people who claim to be believers go to pieces. Whenever the storms of life hit, they don't fare any better than their unbelieving neighbors. Why? Why not? Because if you aren't convinced that he really does care, you won't trust him when things look bad. If you aren't certain of his unfailing love towards you and the fact that he wants you triumphing over this storm more than you do, You won't trust him when the bad report comes. You won't trust him when you get hit with a storm. No, you will instead take matters into your own hands and you will doubt his love. Have a listen to what Romans chapter 8 and verse 14 and 15 says. It says, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption, by whom we cry out Abba, or Father, or Daddy. Friend, Paul is saying there that because of Jesus' victory, not only are we free from the fear of death, but we are also recipients of the spirit of adoption. And that right there is huge when you understand it because it's the spirit who makes us feel that we belong as a part of God's family. It's the spirit who causes us to know that we know that we know that we are loved. And it's because we've got the Spirit living on the inside of us that we can connect to God spirit to spirit and we can know Him and be led by Him in an intimate, childlike way. That is how we can cry out, Abba, Father, or Daddy. It's a very intimate term. I'm saying today, friend, that in order for you to enjoy victory over the storms of life, you have to first know that he loves you. You have to know that you know that you know that no matter what things look like, no matter what it feels like, no matter what everybody says, you know that he will be there for you. 
that he will be your strength. He will be your peace. He will be your joy. He is your healing. He is your deliverer. He is your wisdom. He will be your anchor in the storm. But if you are unconvinced about the Father's love for you, if you're doubting his care, if you're still wrestling with some religious idea that maybe God is the author of these storms in your life because he's trying to teach you some kind of lesson, until you settle all that and get a revelation from the word of God that no, he loves you. He only ever wants the best for you. And he's already done everything necessary for you to triumph over this storm and come out the other side victorious until you know that in your heart and get it coming out of your mouth until you are convinced of that. In spite of what your senses are telling you, when the storms of life hit, particularly those life and death storms, that is the time that the enemy is going to come to you and say, well, if he really does love you, why did that happen? Why are you going through this? Why hasn't he come through for you before now? And all that, I want you to see, that is all just another way of saying, face it, he just doesn't care. He doesn't care. Jesus, don't you care? Don't you care that we're perishing I'm saying today that when the tough times come, the enemy is going to pressure you, friend, with that question. He's going to pressure you to to question and to doubt other people's love for you and God's love for you. And he does that because everything else is connected to it. Faith works by love. Your revelation of righteousness, right standing, is based on knowing that you are loved by God. Everything else flows out of that. So if the enemy can get you to question your love for others and God's love for you and your love for him, there's a crack. There's an open door. There's a point of entry for him to come in and mess with us. Which is why, friend, the Bible tells us to give the devil no place. To give him no place in our lives. And how do we ensure that we're giving him no place? Well, we settle it. We settle it once and for all that God loves me and he only ever wants the best for me. I love him and nothing that I'm going through right now is going to change that. Other people love me and I love them. You know, Jesus says in Luke chapter 12 and verse 7 that you never need to be afraid because God knows the number of hairs on your head. Now we read that and we think, what has that got to do with fear? We never need to be afraid because God knows the number of hairs on our head. Well, because friend, if the father is interested in that level of detail about your life, It shows, it demonstrates just how much he loves you. Amen. I mean, he loves you enough. If he's prepared to love you enough to keep a track of your hairs, which I know is easier for some than others. If he will, if he loves you enough to keep track of your hairs, then that means he loves you a lot, right? How much does he love you? Well, Psalm 58 and verse 6, the psalmist said of God, you keep track of all my sorrows. You have collected all my tears in your bottle. You have recorded each one in your book. 
Let me read it again. Psalm 58 and verse 6. Think about this. The psalmist said, You, Lord, keep track of all my sorrows. In other words, nothing goes on that you're not aware of. You're aware of it. You've collected all of my tears in your bottle. You've recorded each one in your book. Oh, friend, you need to settle this today. He is not going to let you go. He's never going to leave you. He will never forsake you. So why should you fear? If you know that he loves you and you know that he's for you, if you know that he's placed the same power that raised Jesus from the dead inside of you, it doesn't matter what the test result says. It doesn't matter what the bank balance looks like. It doesn't matter what people say. You can rest in the confidence that you are loved, you are protected, and you are kept in perfect peace as you keep your mind on him. And I'll talk more about that next time. But I just want to encourage you, if you need to get a revelation of that this week, Get into the Word of God. Remind yourself again of just how much He loves you. Ask Holy Spirit to just burn that on the inside of you. In spite of what's going on, in spite of what you might feel, believe the Word of God. It says He loves you with an everlasting love. And that ought to be comfort to you today, whether you're facing a storm or whether you're not. He's a good, good God, and he will never, ever leave you. And we'll talk more, as I said, about that next time. God bless. Have an awesome week. And we'll talk to you again real soon.